Good morning. How are you guys today? I don't know if everybody else noticed here, but Thomas has a bunch of friends here today, and they'd rather be publicly humiliated with my words than come forward and sit with the children. But that's okay. They, they can all sit and blush back there. Glad you guys are here. Welcome. Today, we're going to talk about whether or not something that seems really bad can actually be good. And the answer is yes, but it's kind of hard for us to, to come to understand. I think when you think about it, maybe you, you're familiar with two examples. One of them is medicine. Doctors and pharmacists, they try to make medicine taste good, but they usually do a pretty bad job, don't they? Most medicine tastes terrible. It tastes awful, and yet that medicine is actually good for you when a doctor says, hey, you're sick, here's the medicine that will help you get better, or hey, you have a cough, this medicine will help you not cough so much. The medicine is, is, is actually good for us, but it tastes terrible, right? Another example is when our parents discipline us. No child likes it when mom and dad discipline them. And in fact, a lot of times, children have a really hard time understanding how the discipline can mean that the parents love them. You think to yourself, this doesn't make any sense. If my parents love me, they wouldn't do this to me. But in fact, that's not true. Even though discipline seems bad when it happens, parents do that for your good because they love you. So something that seems bad is actually for your good. Today, Jesus tells us the truth. He tells us that following him is not going to be easy. He says there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to experience as a Christian that are going to seem really bad. They're going to seem super bad, but they're actually for your good. Jesus uses these bad things, these crosses that he allows to come into our lives to keep us focused on what's really important. Not earthly things, not money, not a house, not a job, not even a family, but eternal life with him in heaven. That's what's most important. And Jesus uses things that seem bad here to bless us. He uses things that seem bad here in this life for our good. Let's say a prayer and ask Jesus to help us better appreciate how this can be true. Dear Jesus, you willingly went to your cross to forgive all of our sins so that we could be with you forever. But while we're still in this world, you promise us that we're going to have hard times, that we're going to have crosses of our own. Our crosses are different from your cross, but you tell us they are necessary and they are for our good. Help us today to better understand how even things that seem bad can be used by you for our good. We thank you for being our Savior. In your name we pray, dear Jesus. Amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a little while this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed 
and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the gospel of our God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to begin by telling you a fictional story this morning. Uh, The main character, we'll call him Matthias. And this story is set around the time of Jesus when the Roman Empire had expanded and basically filled the entire Mediterranean region. A little context before I tell you about Matthias. The, The Romans, as they spread out, they took a little different approach to conquest than some of the previous empires. What the Romans did was they left cultures intact. Some of their predecessors would try to destroy cultures by scattering people or destroying all their cultural buildings and heritage and and just really oppressing them. But the Romans decided they weren't going to do that. They weren't going to completely destroy the cultures that they overtook. They were going to try to win them over through prosperity. And so what they would do is they would set up a puppet government. It would be someone of the same culture, the same ethnicity, and they would train that person and make that person subservient to them, and then they would give that person some limited authority to take care of all your typical governing duties. But of course, there was a catch. The Roman army was still going to have soldiers stationed in those communities with rulers of their own, like a Pontius Pilate. If you think about some of the familiar characters in the biblical narrative of Lent and Holy Week, King Herod would be that puppet king, the the Jewish man who was set up as the local government ruler, and then Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor, and he was in charge of all the soldiers. And if anybody wanted to know who was really in charge, well, of course, it was Pilate and his military officials, but... At least you had some semblance of local government. Well, the soldiers were there for a reason. Rebellion was not all that uncommon. In fact, over time, people wanted that Roman presence gone. And there were attempts by many over the course of history to drive out the Roman soldiers, to win victories over these little pockets 
of Roman soldiers because they weren't as intimidating as the Roman military on its conquest. They would leave back behind little portions of it. So you can understand why someone might get an idea in their head that if they had enough guys and a good enough plan, maybe they could overthrow that local government. So Matthias, he's got this great idea. He thinks he knows how with the help of only 40 men under the cover of darkness, he and his men can take out an entire Roman garrison. He thinks they can gain military control of their hometown and that once they have control, they'll get all the other men in the city and they'll be able to hold off the Romans when they come in to attack. So Matthias sells this plan to his 40 chosen followers. And they think it sounds like a pretty good idea. They hadn't thought of it this way before. And the way Matthias' thinking is so clear and sounds so good, they can see the glory. They can see the parade in their honor. They can see how happy this is going to make their friends and their family. And so they buy into the plan. The plan's a total failure. Half of them die on the night of the attack. And the next morning, the other half of them find themselves crucified. And you know how the Romans did that? They would find that main entryway into the town and they would line it with crosses. For this one, say, ten on each side. And they would put a sign there that made sure everybody knew why these 20 men were hanging in agony. The cross was a deterrent. The cross was to deter anyone from trying what they tried. If you weren't one of those 41 men and you had the idea in your head that you were going to start an uprising against Rome and you're walking down that road and you see that, you see the suffering that they're enduring and you see the sign that says, here's why they're there for rebelling against Rome, you're going to think twice about your own plans aren't you? The cross was never the goal. The cross was always a deterrent. And so maybe you can understand why Peter would be a little taken aback at first when Jesus lays this plan out to him and he says what must take place. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Jesus was not hiding anything. In other portions of Scripture, we know that Jesus had been clear that his death would be a crucifixion. Peter knew what Jesus was saying. He did not misunderstand Jesus at all. And it made no sense. In the previous section, Peter had just confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, to be the promised Savior of the world. But this is not what Peter and the rest of the disciples had in mind. When they confessed Jesus as the Old Testament Messiah fulfilled, this, you're the one, you're the one the Old Testament promised, the King, the Anointed One. The goal of the Messiah's work in their mind could not be a cross. That is never the goal only a deterrent. Jesus, you're not 
thinking clearly. But obviously, Peter was the one who wasn't thinking clearly. Peter was the one who didn't understand at all what Jesus was talking about. And what Jesus does here is he tells a story that makes even less sense. A story that no one has ever told. You can understand my story about Matthias and his 40 followers seeking glory. That makes sense to you. But no one's ever told a story about Matthias saying to 40 men, hey, I got an idea. Let's go get crucified. Me first, then you. This is not a story that anyone has ever told. But that's what Jesus essentially says to Peter. He says, not just me, but you too. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus there tells Peter, you're going to bear a cross too. We're going to a cross together. I'll go first, but you're going to come after me. And then he goes on to explain to Peter and the disciples what the cross is and why the cross is a blessing. Did you catch that? Listen to it one more time. The what is in verse 34. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The cross is always linked to self-denial. We'll come back to that in a minute. The why is in verses 35 through 37. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The why for enduring the cross has to do with a better understanding of everything we know and love here compared to the goal of the cross, what Jesus is promising, eternal life. Let's start with the what. Jesus makes it clear that the cross is self-denial. Now, for, for you and for me, that often takes place on two different poles. And, and usually it's both for all of us. You might spend more time on one pole than the other, but you're usually bouncing back and forth between the two. The one is self-righteousness, viewing yourself too highly. The other is despair. Both of them deny what God says and cling to what they believe to be true. Make sense? So if you're self-righteous, you're rejecting what God says and you're believing what you think is true. If you are in despair... You're rejecting what God says and you're believing what you think is true. They're the same thing, but from different sides. And we bounce back and forth between these. And then add to, the, add to it the detail that the thing that triggers our crosses generally changes as we go through life. So let's apply this walking through life. When you're young, 
Usually it's passion that triggers the cross, that triggers the need for self-denial. You are ambitious. You are hardworking. Your hormones are raging. All you can do is go, 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 do, do, do. Well, you either think too highly of yourself or you do things that make you think so terribly of yourself that you fall into despair. But it's all triggered by passion. God tells you the truth. He says, you are a sinner. You're going to make a mess of your life. But here in Christ... You have the son of God and son of man who's come to endure the cross for you. It is necessary, Jesus says. Why? Because he chooses it to be necessary for him. Why? So he can rescue you, a sinner like you. You're not good enough, but you're also not so bad that you can't be saved. Both are lies. The truth is, is that the Son of Man came to save sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the truth. Believe it. But that's hard. And it hurts. It hurts for that sinful flesh to be crucified. It hurts for that self-righteous, arrogant fool to be put to death. And it hurts for that despairing fool to be put to death too. But both need to be killed. And the cross accomplishes that task. In the middle years, the cross is often triggered by confusing means and ends. For example, a family. If God blesses you with, the fa- with a family, you are now a mother, you are now a father, you are blessed with children. That is a means that God has given you to serve someone else. You have the privilege of loving God and loving neighbor all the time. Now you have new neighbors. Your spouse. You get to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. You get to to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. You have kids who need you, but you're tired, but they need you. So you serve them. They are a means for service so that God can wear you as a mask and serve others through you. But how easily they become the end. They become everything. The family consumes you. I must give my kids the best experiences. I must give my kids every opportunity for what? To get a bunch of stuff that's gonna burn up on judgment day? Good for you. You failed. The means for service becomes the end, consuming. Same thing can happen with a career or with a hobby. A means for blessing. The means by which you can use gifts that God has given you to earn an income by which you can serve your family by earning an income, by which you can be a good manager of time and talents and treasures, that thing becomes so consuming for you that the means becomes the end. This can happen in so many ways. It tends to happen in those middle years. But again, you go from self-righteousness to despair. Jesus says, both those need to die. The sinful nature needs to die. 
both tell you lies. When you've fallen into those traps, when you've switched the means and the ends, and you don't think it's that big of a deal, that self-righteous fool needs to die. Or when you think it's such a big deal that you can't be forgiven, that despairing fool needs to die, and the cross accomplishes the goal. Then you get old. What happens to the hands of a carpenter over years and years of labor? They become calloused, don't they? Well, when you get old, that's what happens to your soul. You get calloused. You've been hurt a lot. You've been disappointed a lot. Your kids don't call as often as they should. Nothing seems right. The world is falling apart. You've been hurt time and time again, cut time and time again, blistered time and time again, and you're just kind of numb. You're just kind of numb to it all. There's a self-righteous party that doesn't think it's that big of a deal. And there's a despairing part of you that thinks there's no hope for you, that you've lost it all. The cross needs to do its job. The cross hurts. But that self-righteous fool and that despairing fool, they both need to die and the cross accomplishes the goal. You see, there's a, a third story that I haven't really told you yet because that second story wasn't true. It's not the one that Jesus told. You heard it already, but you might have missed it like Peter did. Listen to what Jesus says. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. The cross was never the end. The cross was the means. His cross was the means to your salvation and mine. And our cross is the means to safely get us through this hellhole to heaven. The cross is never the end. There was never a Matthias who said, hey, come on, let's go get crucified, me first, then you. But there was a Jesus who said, I'm going to go to the cross first. It must happen because it is my will to save you. It is my will to rescue the world. And because it is my will for this to happen, this must happen. And so he willingly endures our hell on the cross. He willingly endures the death that our sins deserve so that he can crush death forever with his resurrection from the dead. And he lives. And now he says, come, follow me. Same path, different cross. Our cross does not save us. Jesus' cross already did that. But our cross is necessary. It's necessary for us. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but not just in that hope. We rejoice in the suffering too. The suffering that's unique to us as Christians. The unbelievers don't bear the cross, just us. We rejoice in the suffering that is the cross because through it, God produces perseverance and through that perseverance, character and through that character, right back to hope and that hope will not, does not disappoint us because it's eternal paradise. 
with our Savior Jesus, what could we give in exchange for our soul? What could we gain here in exchange for eternity with our God? Nothing, nothing. And that's the point. You see, the cross is intimately connected with the resurrection. And that's the key. If you want to better understand the blessing of your cross, don't forget the resurrection. Remember that your Savior Jesus lives. And remember that you too will live. Remember that Jesus' cross was not the end, the resurrection was. And he lives and rules eternally. Our cross is not the end. It is a means to the end. Eternal paradise with our Savior, Jesus. And that's what it means to rethink the cross. The cross is a blessing. And it always will be until we meet our Savior face to face in paradise. Amen.